Welcome back, podcast friends, to I Am Healthy and Fit. I Am Healthy and Fit is the affirmation that begins changing your health and fitness from the inside out. I'm Steve Jordan, your health and fitness coach. Welcome back, everybody, to the I Am Healthy and Fit podcast. I first want to take a moment and thank you for your continued support, for listening, and for leaving your reviews. It's helping to allow this podcast to exceed all of the expectations I had in just six months. The guests that I've had on and the great, extraordinary guests that I continue to get, including today's guest, Sergeant Noah Galloway, a man who served our country in 2003 and lost his left arm and his left leg and nearly his life in an accident. But he overcame all that and is now living his best life. He was on the cover of Men's Health, which became the number one selling men's health of all time. He was on Dancing with the Stars and placed third, doing this all with just one arm and one leg. There are no excuses. There are no excuses to be healthy and fit. Listen to this podcast. Be inspired as much as I have been inspired the few times that I've already listened to it. Again, thank you for listening. I wish you all abundant health and fitness. Noah, welcome to the I Am Healthy and Fit podcast. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Well, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you with me today. I know it's taken a little bit of time. We uh, had a reschedule and a little bit of uh, a technical difficulty setting up our, our app here. But needless to say, in you know the the... The anticipation that I had for this podcast was high, higher than most any other guests, because I heard you speak live at the National Academy of Sports Medicine annual conference where I was in attendance uh, because I'm on their advisory board. Um, and it, it was one of the most prolific, prolific and moving presentations, uh, speeches that I've ever heard. I was actually the one that raised my hand in the back and, and asked you a question. Uh, what were some of the challenges that you deal with? And I, you know, I, it, it, just your poise, your ability to speak authentically and vulnerably, uh, coming from your background in the military and, and, and so many other great accomplishments that you have, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to get into them. You know, your ability to be a man and stand in front of thousands of fitness trainers and other fitness professionals where egos are high, your ability to be vulnerable and authentic was was awesome. So I want to acknowledge you for that. Uh, that means a lot. Thank you. So Noah, you come from a very, uh, a very, a very, um, so where I'm looking for seasoned or you, a remarkable background. Can you tell me and our listeners a little bit about that? You, uh, you grew up as an athlete, correct? Well, I mean, yes and no. I got into fitness at a really young age, but I, you know, a lot of my friends played sports. I didn't get into sports like all of them did, but it was fitness that I gravitated towards. I just wanted to be healthy. I wanted to be fit. You know, I always joke, but it's it's true that when I was real young, I realized that girls like fit guys. So I wanted to be, I wanted to be fit. That's and exactly that's, why I got into it too. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, you know, that was something I got into, but it also benefited me 
in all the different things I did when I started working. I, I got in a manual labor. I was doing construction, worked in a plant, and being healthy and fit helped me do those things. Like, not everyone's always healthy in a plant or in construction, but to do those jobs and still have the energy at the end of the day is much easier the better shape you're in. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I can really say that I relate to that a lot. I, those were many reasons why I got into health and fitness. I wanted to look good. Uh, you know, it, was, it always felt good to take my shirt off and, you know, shock the people at the pool or the beach. And, uh, you know, it was, it was great, you know, that acknowledgement you get. But with that comes a, comes a lot of responsibility and, and almost a lot of, like, you know, self-doubt and it, uh, almost, you know, like, it's a double-edged sword, let's just call it. Would yeah. you agree with that? Oh, completely. Because, you know, I think that when you, when, you're, when you totally engulf yourself in fitness, you do. You, you concentrate on how you look, and then you, you go through phases in life where you maybe obsess a little too much on how you look. You know, I've, I've gone through phases where I was more obsessed with it than others. And then, you know, I've admitted to people that I've been in great shape, but there's been times I've gone to the pool with the kids and I've sat there with my shirt on because it wasn't perfect. And there's all these other dads that were in horrible shape, but enjoying time with their kids. And I was putting that on myself because I was wanting everything perfect. And I hate that I've ever done that because I've gotten on to friends of mine that, you know, you do, you kind of get in this world sometimes where you want everything perfect and nothing is ever perfect. And it was when I finally decided I want to be the healthiest I can be. And if the, if the, outer product of that is looking fit and great that's then that's perfect but what's in inside started to become more of a priority to me as i've gotten older absolutely you know that's a, a an amazing shift and um i'm interested to know where that shift occurred uh for me it occurred when i was going through a, a breakup where uh, about seven eight years ago i had for the first time in my life i was heartbroken and I had to go check myself into therapy. And, you know, I was usually the one on the other side breaking, you know, girls' hearts. And I had to start feeling good. And I shifted exercising from looking good to feeling good. And I created that new mantra, you know, for my clients about, like, you, I just want you to feel good. That's the most yeah. important thing, right? And then the I Am Healthy and Fit brand and mantra came, you know, partly from that as well. Um, I had a traumatic brain injury, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Noah. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I fell off of a balcony in college, and I had a traumatic brain injury and nearly lost my life. I had to have brain surgery. I was in a coma. Oh, man. Um, I was you know, very fit growing up. I was very athletic. And uh, those, you those, know, those nuances that you learn in those experiences helped me to overcome that. And I am healthy and fit kind of evolved originally from there, but also during this period when I was going through therapy and I had to exercise again to feel good. And the I am healthy and fit is a mantra, right? If you believe it, you can achieve it. And so health, you know, and fitness and just being able to perform doing better came before looking good. So how did that shift for you? You know, it, it actually happened. I, I would love to say it was after my injury, but it came while I was in the military. Um, I, you know, always obsessed over how I looked and looking back, I mean, when I was a teenager, I remember looking at magazines and seeing, you know, bodybuilders and things like that, that my body will never look like and thinking, I want to look like this guy. 
and you know now I'm older I know that we all look different but there was a, a phase I went through in the military where I decided I'm gonna I'm a be as healthy as I can be and I changed my eating habits dramatically and I was just concentrated on working from the inside out and I always tell people that I started doing that and after a year I looked in the mirror one day and was like man I look amazing you know I was very happy with the way I looked, but that wasn't my goal and I got more out of that than when I was trying to look the best I could there's ways to look healthy and fit but not be healthy and fit but when you start from the inside and it comes out then you see the best you that you can be. Uh, I think that is just priceless. That's exactly the way that I think. And, uh, you know, I hope listeners are really absorbing that because that's really important. And it's not easy to do. It's a, for me, a oh. struggle. Oh, yeah. Not only is it, is it hard to do, but it's, e it's, it's easy to fall off and it's hard to get back on. And that's what I went through when I got injured you know, on my second appointment to Iraq and lost my left arm and left leg and was in the hospital and then was outpatient and then moved back to Alabama where I was from, it was, that was the worst shape I'd gotten in. And it was mostly because of the mental issues I was going. Like it wasn't until I, I accepted getting into mental health and that was me. Then I realized, okay, well, I'm definitely starting back from the inside out. And that's what I started doing. And so it was a whole, I had to backtrack and start all over, but you know, it was that knowledge of knowing that going from the inside out was the best thing to do. But after being injured is when I really accepted the mental health. Like, as you even mentioned a breakup and having to go, I mean, that happens to us. And especially to those of us, if we've been the heartbreaker, then it, one day that one person crushes your soul and it feels like nothing else can go on. We've all been through it, but it can break you down. And there's nothing wrong with getting the help. And, you know, whatever it is in life, something pushes you back to get the help. And, you know, when it comes to health and fitness, mental health is just as important as everything else. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm reading a book right now called Spark that I highly recommend. Uh, and it talks about a lot of the current research on how physical training and training your body and uh, even high intensity training helps to just reform your brain and keep it healthy and age gracefully. Yes. So Noah, I want to go into your story because it is an unbelievable story. But before I do, I want to, I want to challenge you to something that no one has been able to do because you're a man of honor. You're a man who loves challenge and stepping outside of your boundaries. So when I was going through uh, another like kind of transformative year of my life, um, it was a year that I was looking to grow personally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. I one day decided not to look into the mirror, okay? So this was another way to get out of my own self-judgment. And I did this because I always sleep with my shirt off. And every morning I wake up in the morning, and the first thing I do is I look at myself in the mirror. And I have a great six-pack, an eight-pack even, if you will. And I've had it for a long time. And I always look at my stomach to see if I still have it in that morning, right? Uh, so I decided not to look in the mirror and I did that for one day and it felt really good and I'm really self-aware and I said to myself I'm gonna do this I was running a half marathon it was my first half marathon I said I'm gonna do this for the next three months until I run that half marathon for three months Noah I didn't look into a mirror now how do you do that how do you not be in a gym and not look into a mirror I would look into a mirror but I wouldn't look at my own reflection 
And there were a couple of times I accidentally did and I would be like, oh, I was like looking into like, you know, like looking into Medusa's eyes. So I would like look away real quick. But I yeah. <laughs> So I want to challenge you by not look, and I'm going to just do two weeks because it's actually part of my program in my book that I've written that will be published in 2019. I challenge you not to look into a mirror for two weeks. Will you accept my challenge? You know, I'll tell you that as you were talking about your revolution, you know, you're, you realizing that you need, you need to do that. I'm the same way. I'd look at myself constantly and, you know, I would, as you were talking, I was like, you know, I would have to cover my mirrors with something in my house. And so we're talking, you're talking more than just a day. Two weeks, bro. Two weeks. Three months. You, Noah Galloway, who's going to share an incredible story of recovery and breakthrough. I know that you can do this. All right. I I accept your challenge because that that sounds like something that I need to do. I need to do to myself. So, no, I love that challenge and I accept it. Awesome. Great. I'm going to follow up with you on that and maybe we do another podcast on just, it could be a short one and just the experience of that. All right. Cool. I'll tell you what, I know we got a whole podcast to do, but now I'm, I'm thinking all through, I'm interested knowing how this is going to go because I mean, I do, I, I worry about how I look and you know, we all know that you can eat something one day and it affects the way you look. Mm-hmm. And I constantly check the way I look and, and judge myself. Some days I'm happy. Some days I look and I'm like, what have I been doing to myself the last couple of days? You know, but that is being a little too self-absorbed. Absolutely. It's one of the, it was one of the most freeing experiences I've ever had and challenging. You know, it's almost like anything else. It's like working out. You know, the first few days, week is really challenging and you're going to catch yourself doing it. But you know, what I suggest is doing like I did, where when you do catch yourself, at least you're aware and you look away and you'll start to find that that becomes less frequent to the point where now it becomes habitual, where you know, like you're not going to look into a mirror. And that includes, and I know you do this if you're like the kind of person I am, you looked in the reflection of a car window. or <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I think that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm somebody that definitely would need this. I'll tell you what, it, I'll tell you a funny story about a car window. I think this brushes off on my kids. I, I had a, I just recently got rid of a Challenger. I had a, a Challenger car and I had dark tint on it. And my little girl, you know, I, I raised my little girl and, this, and my boys do this. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I open the car door for women, Great. you know, wherever Great. I go. And uh, my little girl is now used to that. So she was standing at my car waiting for me to come open the door. And I could see her looking at her, her reflection, eight years old. And I opened the door and I said, get in the car, quit looking at yourself. And she's like, how did you know I was looking at myself? I said, because I know you. You're my daughter. She said, but I'm just so pretty. I was like, oh, my God. What have I created? <laughs> <laughs> well, they do say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> yes. So I may have to get my kids to try this challenge as well. <laughs> that would be an interesting, fun family experience. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of uh, maybe every, you got to put a dollar in some kind of bucket. Yeah, if you, if you do, look, yeah. Yeah. I like it. And I'm, I'm ex- excited to follow up on that. I'm grateful you accepted that challenge. You're the first person that I've challenged this to uh, in this fashion. So 
I have no doubt that you're going to do it. And I'm excited to find out what comes out on the other end of it because I can't even express in the words what it did for me. And it still does for me. I now, I haven't done it since. Um, that was about four or five, about five and a half years ago. Um, but I now am more cognizant of it. I definitely don't look in the mirror as much. And it, it's, it's going to reboot you. It's going to reset your, your nervous system and your self-consciousness. Well, you know, uh, what's funny is I'm reminded of my, I was married to my ex-wife and one day she told me, she said, no, I don't know if you know this, but there's a mirror in every room in the house except for one, the kitchen, the one room you never go in. And I was like, wow, I am pretty pathetic. You know what I mean? Because it, it, I'm probably the person who needs this more than anybody. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I always say there's no coincidences and I wasn't anticipating going on this, into this <laughs> You know, the good Lord above has uh, has just special powers to direct us. Yes, I love it. I'm I'm excited about this this whole challenge. Cool, bud. Well, I'm going to follow up on that, and I'll uh, I'll coach you along the way. We can talk about that offline. So I want to go into first acknowledging you for your service to our country. Thank you for that. And well, thank you. Uh, no, you were a sergeant in the 502nd Infantry, 101st Airborne Division, um, and you have, you know, have since been, you know, your life has changed since that. First, tell us what that means. I mean, it's a, it's a, like a bombastic title. It has so many, like, I, when I read it, I had to look it up in Wikipedia to understand it. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so... You know, one thing about, you know, in the military, you have the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard, and I was part of the Army, and then within the Army, they have different units, and, you know, if you've ever watched Band of Brothers, or there's a lot of different movies that reference the 101st, the Screaming Eagles, you know, we have a good history in World War II, Vietnam, you know, and, and in Iraq and Afghanistan, and so we're a unit, we're an infantry unit that is part of the Army, that is one of the uh, you know, one of the big dogs, you have the 101st, the 82nd, the 173rd, you have these units that are the, that can be anywhere within 24 to 48 hours. And as an infantry soldier, your mission is to seek out and destroy the enemy. And you then you have, you know, heavy infantry, then you have artillery and all these different things. But I was a, in a battalion that was part of the 101st Screaming Eagles out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So that's, that's really all it is. That title is just talking about where I was and what unit I was part of. Okay. Why did you join the army? I was, you know, my mom was a military brat. And as a teenager, she always told me that I should join the military. And I didn't think I ever wanted to be part of that. It just didn't sound like something I wanted to be in. But then I was in college when 9-11 happened. And I watched that all unfold on the news. And that was my motivation to not to not for once not think about myself and do something that was right for the country and i dropped out of college and enlisted in the military and ended up you know i told them i wanted infantry i wanted airborne and i ended up going through basic training jump school and then got my orders to be in the 101st it was all this it was patriotism that got me in but then once i got in the military and started training my mom was right i did adapt well i enjoyed the military I, uh, when, I was in co when I was in high school, I played lacrosse. I was an all-state lacrosse player as well as football. And I got a scholarship or a look to go to West Point. And I remember going to visit, and it scared the shit out of me. And uh, 
it, you know, it, it was just because, you know, I, again, I'm like probably like, like you, I mean, I'm physical, I'm aggressive, I'm focused. I, I would do really well in the military, but I had never uh -huh. been into that. My dad was in the, in the air, in the uh, army reserves, but it wasn't like in our blood, you know, and um, it, it scared me. And I decided not to go that route and go to the university of Maryland, which was my uh, reach school to play lacrosse. Um, and then my accident occurred, but um, you know, uh, kudos to you for dropping out of college, probably having the, the time of your life, right? And, you know, going, going for it and doing this and following in your, in your heritage. Yeah, you know, because you, you said exactly right. To look at it from the outside in, you're like, whoa, that looks like a lot of control on you. And, but then it's not really like that once you get in. I mean, yeah, you're, you're just like when you work anywhere else you have bosses you have superiors and a job to do but you know what you see in west point and in basic training isn't your everyday life and that's what's terrifying you know it's hard to give everything up and say i'm going to go do this now then you end up in a job that does take you away from your family away from your friends and you are you're sacrificing a lot and you know i was i was very motivated i don't know looking back i i hope that if something like that, like in another scenario, I'd have done the same thing because you never know. But whatever happened that morning, watching that was enough for me to say, that's it. I'm in. And I'm, I'm glad I did. Well, you know, again, kudos to you. I remember I was in Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, working in the city as a trainer at the time I had graduated college. And uh, I remember uh, that morning I had a, a modeling shoot, right? We were talking about you know, looks and this and that. I, I would get modeling shoots sometimes from people I knew, like, you know, two degrees of separation. And I was home having breakfast, kind of easing into my day. And I turned on the news, which is something I normally don't do. And I saw all this happening and I thought it was a rerun. You know, I thought it was something that, you know, that had happened in our, in our past that I just, that I missed that day of history class. And uh, I realized it was real. And my dad called me and he said, if you're in a city, you know, stay put. If you're not, don't go in. And I was yeah. like, holy shit, this is real. And then all of a sudden, I heard those, uh, I don't know which, which uh, planes they were, F-14s, whatever, flying over. I think they came down from Massachusetts over to New York City. They were the first, you know, ones to come in for combat. They thought they yeah. were, you know, under attack. And man, I heard those guys screaming above us. And I was like, I'm getting the hell out of here. I packed up some of my valuables, got my car, and drove east or uh, west towards my family in New Jersey. And I wanted to drive, I want, felt like I wanted to be flying a plane as well, like a fighter plane when I was in my car and just seeing all these people along the Pulaski Skyway out of their cars, hands in their head, their heads in their hand and just in distraught. And I was like yeah. crying, listening to Howard Stern of all this happening. So I can imagine how you felt too with that, you know, just being from the, the military family as well. Yeah, definitely. It was, that was the moment that, because I had a, an uncle that was in Vietnam that has always, had always told me, he said, if you go in the military, tell him you want airborne infantry, so you're right up front. And I remembered him saying that, and that was my whole objective when, when I decided to go in. I was like, I wanted to be in the fight. Nice. Okay, well, let's fast forward now, and I don't know how many years after, and this is, this is where your life changed. And, um, you know, on December 19th in 2005, it's coming up, you and your Humvee and your platoon, some men in your platoon, 
were driving in the night. I remember this in your, in your speech. And, you know, you, you have these night goggles on and you can see a lot, but you can't see everything. And your Humvee hit an IED. And tell us what happened from there. Well, so it was a, a tripwire IED that I hit. And the Humvee I was in was an armored Humvee, but the explosion was powerful enough that when it hit my door, the vehicle being 9,000 pounds was thrown off the road and landed in a canal running adjacent to the road. And I don't remember a single thing about it. Thankfully, it landed wheels down because they said the water was up to my chest. The other two guys, the vehicle had some shrapnel, but not not knocked unconscious and they climbed out and they said they struggled to get me out of the vehicle up the embankment into another Humvee rushed me back to where the little potato factory we were living out of where medics worked on me till a helicopter could pick me up take me to a camp where we had you know military doctors they worked on me from there they flew me to Germany to a hospital there and from Germany to Walter Reed Armor Medical Center in DC and I woke up Briefly in Germany, not sure where I was, went to sleep and woke up again on Christmas Day in DC. And my parents were there. And I don't, I didn't know what had happened, where I was, but I do remember thinking I was, I knew I was somewhere safe or my family wouldn't be there. Yeah. Well, I can relate to that. Um, in, in, in one way, when I woke up out of my coma due state, I had my family to my side too. And there's probably no better comfort when you know you're, Oh yeah. Something's gone wrong, but you can see your mom and dad there. And you know, you, you just, you're kind of oblivious to everything. I mean, you're so oh, yes. you, like, you're just kind of in and out of consciousness. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, between the, the injuries and then they've got you on medication. It is, it's a, it can be terrifying to not know where you are, but the comfort of family is very relaxing. Yes, you're exactly right. Okay, so once you realize the severity of your injuries, and and, and can you actually, let's take a step back. Yeah, so what were, what, was, what were your injuries and how severe were they? So, you know, I remember being in the hospital bed and my mom was the one who kind of listed off because if I was told before by a doctor, I was not conscious enough because I only remember my mom because I was confused. I was laying there all bandaged up and she told me, she said that I'd lost my left arm above the elbow, my left leg above the knee. My right leg was severely injured and bandaged up. I had injuries to my right hand. My jaw was shattered. So my mouth was wired shut. And I remember she told me all this, I was kind of in shock. I didn't know what to think. There was, for a while, I was concerned if I was this bad off, what happened to everyone else? Mm -hmm. And it was a couple of days before I was able to find out that I was the only one that was severely injured and no one died. So then it the tables really turned because then it was all the focus I had was on myself and what I was going to do. And there were moments of, I'm going to be fine. I can live with this. And then within like 30 seconds to a minute, I'm angry. And then another minute, I'm crying like a baby. I mean, it was one emotion after another. I didn't know how to react to what I was going through and what future I had before me. 
And I think that's what was really terrifying. I think a lot of people listening to this podcast, whether you've been severely injured or not, can a lot of people go through experiences in their life where you have this vision of the future. You may not have it broken down to the point that you have a an eight-step process written out in a notebook somewhere, but you have a vision of where you want to go in life. And then something happens that takes all of that away and you have no future that you see that makes sense to you. And that's terrifying. And I think that that right there sent me into my deepest, darkest depression. The injury was bad, but not knowing where I was going in life anymore completely terrified me. How, going back to our beginning of our conversation about looking good, how, how, how did that go through your head? Did, what were the thoughts about that? You know, learning that you lost your arm and your leg and how important looking good was to you prior to that. Did that become a lot of your conversation in your head about not looking? Oh good? yeah. In my mind, it was like, well, I'm, I'm done. Uh, my marriage had ended. And I was like, nobody wants this now. Who wants a guy missing an arm and leg? Like, it, nothing mattered anymore. What I, you know, suddenly for the first time in my life is like, I thought, uh, who cares what I look like? Not in a good way. Not like I overcame it. No, I was like, who cares? I'm done. You know what I mean? That that vanity overtook me to a part that was just so painful. You know, and and I think that you know with time that I needed to experience, uh, you know, to not be as vain, but to the vanity that I had was crushing me because it was like, what do I do now? You know, who cares if I can take care of myself, feed myself, get a leg and walk around. I look like a freak is what I thought. And, you know, that was hard for me to accept. How long did those feelings last? You know, it's for a good, like the first year was hard, but I met, like, as I was in the hospital, a girlfriend I had in middle school and she moved away. I hadn't seen her in 10 years. Her and another childhood friend of ours came up to see me. And then we started dating and we rushed into a marriage and we got married. So she made me feel, started to make me feel more comfortable about who I was in our own home. But I still was very self-conscious when I was out in public and that didn't go away until I decided, you know what, I need to start getting into better shape. And it was getting back in the gym. And what really set that off for me, you know, I mentioned this in my speech is my three children. Well, I, so I had a son with my first wife and then with my second wife, I had two children and, and it was the day that I walked out into my living room and all three of my kids were sitting on the couch. And even as young as they were, I realized to my two boys, I'll show them what a man is and that's where they're going to grow up to be. And to my little girl, I realized I've shown her how a man's supposed to act and that's what she's going to look for one day. And that's when I realized I needed to make a change. And the way I decided to do that was to go back to my most successful way of doing that. It was like, all right, I'm going to start being healthy and not worry about the way I look. And so I changed my eating habits, and then I started exercising, and it, it, it started to change. And a change came within me where I felt better about the way I looked. I was comfortable missing an arm or leg. That I was like, I am not a freak. 
I'm someone who's been injured and I'm adapting and now I'm overcoming this. So then there was a sense of pride that I found in what I was doing. And I tell people when I, you know, I, you know, not to ramble on too much, but I've met people who have all these excuses not to be healthy, not to be fit. They're battling with diabetes or, or, you know, yeah, they, they eat for comfort or obesity is something that runs in their family. And I tell them that should give them more of a reason and more pride to get into shape because they've overcome something that people like you and I, you know, I'm just going to assume that you might be like me, Steve, that genetically it's not as hard for us. Now we take it to the next level, but there is some genetics on our side and there are other people that don't have those genetics. And when they overcome it, I think they have much more to be proud of than those of us who can just change our eating habits and see a change in our body because not everybody has that. And so for me being injured, I got to see that side of the world where I was like, you know what, I'm going to make this my own and I'm going to do something with it. And that's what I've started to do. And it has really worked out in my favor. Absolutely. And, and I completely agree. You know, I had to go through my accident, my accident. I say I fell into my career, you know, literally, yeah. no pun intended, <laughs> but exercise was my successful tool that I used to help overcome the many challenges that I was experiencing both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, you know, it was a three year recovery, very deformed, always good looking kid and had a lot going on for me. Um, and it was debilitating on so many levels. And, you know, I, I became more empathetic, more compassionate. Um, I became a better person from it. And it put me on the path of health and fitness and making it a career. And I do empathize with people, you know, but it, it, it's, it is a challenge, though. I don't have pictures. You know, it, it's hard to see what I went through now, 24 years later, 23 years later. Um, you know, at the time, there were no camera phones you know my parents were like yeah. why would we take pictures of you in a hospital all bandaged up and banged up um you know i only have a couple pictures that you know were a few months after but you know need to say that that the sincerity in me is still there and people can feel that and see it uh when i when i work with them so you know it is something that we are challenged with you know as you know someone who has good genes and it is hard sometimes to put ourselves in other shoes who might not. And those who do accomplish great things who don't have the genes we have, do have so much more to be proud of. And, you know, the biggest step is taking that first step. What was your first initial step? Because I remember in your story, like, you, you, it wasn't just the emotional baggage you were going through. You said you were out of shape, overweight. And uh, if my memory serves me correct, you were drinking a lot and, and, uh, kind of abusing, you know, food and alcohol to a point where you're numbing yourself. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was because I, I was pretty proud of myself for stopping all the medication, working myself off of that. But what ended up happening was I started self-medicating and alcohol was a big part of that. And so I had to completely cut that out of my life for a while. I'm at a stage now where I found that because there are people, if you alcoholics, that's a disease. They have to stay, they have to not drink. I didn't know if I had that going on or not. And I was able to find out that like, I can drink what I want to and not, but I was abusing it at that time. And in order to overcome that, I had to completely cut it out for a while. And so I, I cut out the drinking, changed the way I was eating. And I started taking care of myself. And I joined a 24 hour gym because I was, I was, there was nothing at the time 
that was no books, magazines, nothing online that told me how to work out missing arm or leg. So I would go in late at night, early in the morning and work out alone and just figure out how to work out, which was actually was kind of motivating because it reminded me of being 12 years old and trying to figure out fitness. And so there was a little bit, I, I had to convince myself that this is just another stage, a new chapter in my life. And if I'm going to get through it, I've got to make this step. And so I just, you know, changed my habits and got in the gym and started easing into it. And it does, it takes a lot. I think that we all want everything immediately and that doesn't happen. You know, especially if, you know, there it was, I went five years of being out of shape. That doesn't change in five days. You know, if you've been out of shape for 20 years, that doesn't change in 20 days. It takes time. I always tell people that I saw a difference the first month, second month, six months, a year. Here it has been several years since I got back into fitness, and I'm still seeing improvements. So it's all about, you know, getting that first step and then just easing into it and not obsessing over it but really changing your habits it's all about habit on the days that you didn't want to go work out or the days that you I'm sure you went through states of depression and withdrawal what did you do to help get yourself I, back into the game and, and get back into the i i the day i always tell people that the days i don't want to work out i have my best workouts because you know yeah there's a lot of people that you know there's some great workouts you can do at home you know there's equipment there's you know videos everything you can do me personally i don't like to work out at home because i know if i walk into a gym i am not going to walk in turn around and walk out i'm going to do something i'm going to do the workout even if i'm not i may not come in pumped up fired up you know ready to make a lot of noise i just going to go through the movements but those days i felt like i got my best workout in because it pushed me mentally and emotionally to stay on track, you know, to keep that habit up. So it's those days you don't want to work out that you walk your happy butt into the gym that I feel like that's your most successful days. That's awesome. Do you experience a phantom limb? And what does it feel like if you do? You know, it's I yes and no. It's not as bad as it was in the beginning. I, I love to explain it to people like if you wear a hat all day and at the end of the day you took your hat off, and then, you know, 30 minutes later, it feels like you're still wearing it on your head. That my brain thinks that the nerve endings that are the nerves that are running to my hand are still going to my fingertips, even though they're not. So with that being said, I can concentrate, I can move my hand. And if you could see my residual limb on my arm, you could see it moving, the muscles moving around because it's it's trying to move the the fingers in my hand. Wow. Now with the phantom pain, yeah, there are moments that it'll hurt or my leg feels like there's electricity shooting through it, but it goes pretty quickly. The best advice that was given to me was by my father. My dad, when he was 18, was working in a plant and a machine malfunctioned and squished his hand. They tried to save it. They couldn't. They had to amputate it. I grew up my entire life with a father with one hand who did construction. And so when I got injured, we had this bonding moment. And when it came to phantom pain, he told me, he said, Noah, stay active, stay busy. Don't sit around thinking about it because, yeah, that'll hurt. 
because right now, just talking about it, I can feel the sensation in my hand. It's not painful. I've adapted to it. But when I'm busy, I'm not thinking about it. It doesn't bother me. So I stay active. I stay busy. I don't sit around thinking about what could or couldn't hurt. And so it's kind of a, it's not as bad as it was. In the beginning, uh, it was miserable. I felt a lot of pain or my, my hand that wasn't there would hurt in certain spots. And it was, it was very distracting. You couldn't just not think about it. But now it's been, it's coming up on, I think, 13 years since I've been injured. So I've adapted and it's not an issue anymore. It's a great lesson you said there because I'm a big believer that movement is medicine. And I hope that the listeners really get that because if you are in pain, you know, and it could be back pain, which plagues nine out of 10 people or neck, shoulder pain, hand pain, carpal tunnel syndrome, knee pain, get up and move, get moving. Yeah. It doesn't have to be intense. doesn't have to, you don't have to be crushing it for an hour. Just get up and move to get your mind off of it. As you suggested there and your dad suggested great, great, you know, book of wisdom there. I think it's really important to just start moving whenever you're not feeling good, whether it's emotionally, physically, and emotionally, you got to get going, man. Right? Exactly. Exactly. I don't know how many people I've talked to that, you know, elderly people that, you know, go and walk at the park, whatever it is, because it keeps them moving. You know, it keeps them alive. You know, that's, I, we all have to keep in mind that we don't survive by sitting motionless. We live by living, by moving, and we cannot forget how important that is. Absolutely. Well, you're crushing it now. Um, you now are competing in ultramarathon races. Uh, you're doing these Tough mutters where it's an invite-only invitation for 24 hours in these cold climates. Uh, you were on Dancing with the Stars. Uh, you, came in number, you, you came in third place. Yep. You have graced the cover of the most famous fitness magazine in the world, Men's Health, and it was the number one issue sold of all time still to date. And you are just killing it. And you, you, you've got all these amazing accomplishments and achievements in your, in your wheelhouse. How did you get there? I mean, I mean it's like I'm, I rarely am – uh, what's the word? Like, an, I want to. I don't want to say enamored, but but I'm going to use that, right? I'm I'm rarely enamored, or I, I never I never feel like I look up to too many people, right? Um, but I look up to you. I am I am humbled by you, and I admire you. Uh, I, I I would say that you could and might be my mentor. Oh, see, that means a lot, and I'll I'll tell you, I I don't I don't know how it all happened exactly, but. I know that the one thing that I have, I stuck with, once I realized it, I stayed true to it, and to this day, I stay true to it, and that is making sure that my, my children are my priority, and I know people are listening to this, like, how does that put you on the cover of Men's Health from Dancing with the Stars? Well, my kids being my priority is what, one, got me out of my depression, and two, continues to push me to try to be the best um, person they can look up to because we can talk to our children till we're blue in the face. They learn from what they see and I'm showing them a healthy lifestyle and being a good person and making sure that you always do what right. We make mistakes and we correct them. We apologize when we're wrong and we move forward. And 
how that got me to where I wa- where I am is by making sure they're the center of my attention and everything I do. And where that example comes from is after Men's Health, and I go on Ellen DeGeneres' show, all these shows wanted me. Survivor, you know, another adventure racing show. And I wanted those shows bad, but they took me away from my kids, and I didn't want that. So I stayed true to who I was, and I turned them down. And Dancing with the Stars called and told me they'd put me in a house in L.A. for the duration of the time I was on that show. Now, knowing it was a dancing show, I automatically assumed I probably wouldn't last long. But just in case, I said I couldn't do it because I live in Alabama and my three kids here in Alabama and I have to be here. And they, without hesitation, said they'd send the dancer to me. And that's what they did. And me and my dance partner, Sharna Burgess, rehearsed in Cahaba Heights, Alabama every week and flew back and forth to the live show because my kids were my, are my priority. And then everything that's happened since then, as I got attention and people wanted me to endorse their products or whatever it was, I would turn things down back then and to this day because I had to tell my, ask myself, what lessons is teaching my kids and, you know, what are they going to, you know, what are they going to see from this? And if it's, I am not going to endorse something I do not use or do not believe in because I don't think that is truthful and I don't want my kids to be dishonest. But now, because I've turned things down, when groups reach out to me to work with them, to partner with them in different things, or to endorse their product, they know, and my followers, I hope, know that I honestly believe in what I'm saying. And I've always told my kids, when you are selling something and it's from the heart, it's, it's, be- it's a better pitch than the best salesman could ever come up with. You don't have to be a salesman because what you're talking about is true to your heart and that's what takes you through life. And that's why I feel like everything has happened is I make sure that my, my kids are my priority in everything I do. And I feel like that has helped me get to where I am. There are people who want to work with me because I am who I say I am. I'm sure I could get a whole other, another endorsement deal with somebody by lying, but that's not who I am. And I can't live with that. And so where I am and where I'm going in life is trying to be the best I can be. And that is what I'm proud of, whether it's national attention or not. If everything ends today, it's okay. I still have my children and that's what's important to me. Amen. That's so courageous of you to say that. And again, I am grateful that you accepted my invitation to be on this podcast now, knowing how high of a standard you have for spending your time and, and sharing your, your knowledge, wisdom, and yourself with, uh, with others. So thank you for that. No, thank, it means a lot that you wanted me on this podcast. I know we had one day that, uh, you know, the timing, it being you're on the West Coast, I'm all the way out here in Alabama. Um, but it, you know, it worked out perfectly because um, the day that we were going to do it, I was in the middle of, I was in the, the line at my son's school to pick him up. So he would have had to have sit there in silence while we interviewed. And then this time worked out perfect. Me and my neighbors took their kids and my kids to the movies and it timed out perfectly. So when we walked out of the movies, I had a little bit of time to kill. My neighbors took the kids to their house. So I'm sitting in the parking lot of a movie theater doing our interview. And then I'm going to go home and me and the kids are going to spend the rest of our time together. But even they were excited. My son was like, what's the interview about? I said, it's about health and fitness. You know, this guy, Steve Jordan, we're talking about it. And they love that. They love that I continue to talk about health and fitness 
because they are growing up in that. I don't force it on them. You know, I mean, I don't make my kids, you know, eat strict meals all the time, but knowing that this is what I'm passionate about and I get to talk with other individuals like yourself, they're as passionate as I am and you're sharing it on your podcast and allowing me to be part of it means a lot to me and it means a lot to my kids. They're proud of that. So for that, Steve, thank you. I hope they listen to this because it, 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 this is a great podcast. I mean, I'm sure you've done a lot of other great ones, but there's some, I think, really no, special nuggets here, some golden nuggets of information there that I believe that you probably have never spoken about before. You know what? It, it's when I, I love getting a chance to talk to, you know, someone who shares, we have a lot to, in common and it brings a lot of things to come up and talk about. And that, that means a lot. So I got a few more questions. Um, All right. We're gonna, it's going to be brief. But do you celebrate or acknowledge your life on the day of your accident? That, you know, when you mentioned earlier that day's coming up, you know, when I first got injured, you know, a lot of guys do. There's a lot of people, not just military, but other people that it's a day they could have died, and it's your alive day. You know, you almost got this second chance. And quit. I think it was, you know, I don't know what the reasoning was I did it. I think I was trying to not think too much about it. But before I came out of, completely out of my depression, friends of mine told me that they noticed a difference in who, like I kind of faded back and I spent more time alone this time of year, going into December. I know December, we lost a lot of guys in that month. It was the same time I was injured. And so it has, whether I acknowledge it to myself or not, it, it affects me. Um, but I also see it as a day that I did get a second chance. And I am very fortunate that I had the, I've had the experiences I've had. Because if it weren't for me joining the military, if it weren't for me getting injured, going through my depression, I honestly would not have the relationship I have with my three kids that I do. And I'm thankful for that. So when it comes to that day, or the days leading up to it, I think I try to remind myself to really put my time into my kids. You know, I try to be the best dad I can 365 days a year, but I screw it up just like everyone else. There's days that I'm like, I didn't spend enough time with the kids today. You know, I brushed them off, you know, for me to do something else. And we all do that. That's natural. But I try to really make up for that in these days leading up to it. Awesome. One more question, Noah. If you were to give someone advice who's listening, who's dealing with depression or sitting on the sideline or on the couch in a state that you were once in feeling hopeless and depressed and you listen to this podcast and you're inspired by it, but you don't know what steps to take, what would you, what advice would you give them? Where would you, where would you direct them? How would you get them started? Well, first thing I'd say, first thing is do not do it alone. Get help. You know, if you're, if you have, um, if you break your leg, are you going to say, well, let me split this up and, and lay around, let it heal. And, and I'll be back running and, and walking around normal in no time. No, you'd go to a doctor, you'd see, you know, a nurse would take care of you. You would see a professional, you know, when it comes to mental health, you go see a doctor. If you want to get into fitness, go see a fitness expert. You want to change the way you're eating, find someone. Because, yeah, not everybody has the money to go hire a personal trainer or to, you know, whatever it is, but you know somebody that is in that world, talk to them and let them help you. Because I, 
you know, those of us that are in the fitness world, I know can all agree, if you're listening to this, that when people think about the gym scenario and you've never been in the gym, you think of those people and you're like, oh, they just live in the gym. That's what they do. And I don't belong there. But you know what? Whenever someone new walks in the gym, you have no idea that those of us that are in there get excited. And if you ever walked up to a man or a woman that is extremely fit and working out, you say you need some help. You look just like anything else in life. We be, you, it's all like that cult mentality. We get excited. Someone's entering our world of health and fitness, and we want to share it. We want to talk about it. And there are people out there that are willing to help you. And if you can hire a personal trainer or someone, else, do that. But I think the number one thing is do not do it alone. Find someone to help you through it. Have a partner you work out with because then, you know, you are expected to be there. There's accountability, and that makes things so much easier. Do not do things alone. I tell my veteran friends that all the time. I'm like, when we go to combat, when do we ever do anything alone? We always do it as a team. So when we're going through hard times, call your buddy, get help. Because the worst part of my depression was when I closed off and was just sitting alone. I didn't talk to, you know, she's my ex-wife now, but we're still friends. But when I was, we were married, I didn't open up to her. I didn't open up to anybody. And that prolonged my depression. And I regret that. I could have changed much sooner and been a better father for my kids sooner. And I think that, you know, when it comes to that, first and foremost, do not do it alone. I can't say that. Do not do it alone. Find someone in that field of what you need help in and get the help. Awesome. Noah, I again, thank you for your time. I thank you for your knowledge. I thank you for being authentic and real with me and the listeners. I want to extend my invitation for you to call on me to be your, your comrade, your soldier, your partner, you know, to spread health and fitness anywhere, anytime, if, and then when you need that, you can always call on me and uh, I will do my best to be there for you as you've done. Oh, I will. I'm a, I'm a call on you because this, this two weeks of not looking in the mirror is not going to be easy on me. So I, there may, I'm a, I may be calling on you to just motivate me to keep going through it. Cause I mean, I'm taking this challenge. I got you on that brother. I'm so, uh, I'm so excited that you've accepted that challenge. It's going to have a tremendous breakthrough for you. I have no doubt. And if you do do it for the two weeks, you might be, motivated to do it for the three months as I did. So uh, we'll follow up on that podcast uh, with a podcast later in the, in the future. But until then, man, thank you so much again for your service, for you being your best self and sharing it with us tonight. Thank you. And again, thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And one more thing before you take off. Would you like to receive a short email from me one time a week on Fridays? Five to Thrive Fridays is a way for me to keep you expanding your health and fitness with five of the coolest things that I find interesting or ideas that I've been thinking about. Health and fitness books, trends, foods, recipes, supplements, anything to keep you feeling healthy and fit over the weekend and beyond. Visit stevejordan.com and click on the hashtag I am healthy and fit to leave your email address. And one more important note, if you found this podcast motivating, inspiring, or educational, please share with your family, your friends, coworkers, or anyone that you know who needs to improve their health or fitness. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media platform. 
taking the initiative to share not only helps the people you share it with, but it will help you because the law of giving to get. You see, when you give with generosity without expectation, you will receive more for doing so. And this holds true when you want to be healthy and fit, my friends. This is another exercise that I prescribe to all of my clients. And those that have taken it on have undoubtedly seen the most results. So please, take a few more minutes of your time and do it now. Thank you again for listening. I am Healthy and Fit.